We are continuing our series on James this morning, and you remember one of the things that we talked, we talked last week about this whole concept of facing hardship, and we mentioned that James was written in the time when uh, really a period of maybe 15 years, 10, 15 years, something like that in the book of Acts, when the Christians, the Jewish Christians who had been centered in Jerusalem were being pushed out primarily by persecution into the surrounding area. And in doing so, they were uprooting themselves from their homes. They were, um, they were, they were immigrants, they were migrants, they were moving, they were settling in new communities. And there was, there was all kinds of, of, of tension and all kinds, of, I'll use James's word, hardship, as that was happening, as you can imagine, obviously over the last couple of months, we've seen on the TV plenty of pictures of people who have having to leave their homes and uproot themselves. So you can get a little idea of the hardships into which um, these people uh, were moving. How do you translate that to today? What are our hardships? They're essentially, uh, or in terms of circumstances, they're different. Than, um, than that t- the time of James. But what are they, and, and how do we experience them? And I ran across what's well, a podcast I listen to quite regularly, but um, the fellow in the podcast was um, explaining some of the hardships and difficulties that we're finding in this time, so I thought I'd play a couple minutes of it for you. Oh, man. I got asked on an interview the other day um, that I think that what happened in the last two years was as bad as 9-11. Hmm. And I hadn't thought about this, and my, it came out. My instant response was, this is way worse, hmm. and here's why. After 9-11, whether it was real or not, we had a perceived common enemy. It was us versus them. Same team. What happened the last two years is that I was told that my neighbor walking her dog might kill me. Those, the, the, the preschool kids at my Sunday school class might be carrying some disease that will kill us all. So the thing that keeps us whole is other people, relationships. That's why we are in church. That's why the thing is, uh, Jesus got 12 people to walk with him plus all the others, right? We have to have other people and that's what became the weapon was other people. And so the very thing that keeps us alive, it's like becoming allergic to water overnight. You only got four or five days after that. And I don't think we've got comfortable. I think if you take all that, those feelings and emotions and pain and screaming and yelling and you press it down, you compress it. The other word for compress is to depress. Mm -hmm. I think our bodies have gone into freeze and just said, we're out. I can't keep screaming and running and sounding the alarms between the election and between COVID and mass on and vaccines on and off. And I'm out. Bodies have checked out on us. And I I think I said this earlier, but man, Netflix is happy to say, you'll like this. And Amazon will say this, this will help. And it just keeps us steady. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a Laverne and Shirley, like little, little line of just deep, deep, keeping me propped up with the next article and the next thing and the next thing. And, yeah, I'm out. I'm just out. And that's when we have to wait out into the wilderness now, man. Now's the season for courage and bravery. Well, and the other thing that made it interesting, too, is even if you kind of got past the, okay, this person could infect me and you had your bubble for a while, and a lot of people weren't in lockdown for the whole two years, but then 
somebody that you might say is medically safe, we're going to hang out with this person, turns out to be on the other side of the aisle from you politically, or has these other wacko views that you've now seen on social, and you're like, I don't know that we can hang out anymore, right? So it just seems to... It became, it became ideological safety, too. It yeah. did, yeah. yeah. Ideological I, don't, I don't know you anymore. I don't know. And how many... I mean, I know you've experienced this. How many couples have you talked to over the last two years that are just staring at their spouse going, I don't know who you are. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I, what happened to you? And it's like, I've always been like this. Like, I, I, Or vice versa, like whatever happened. Like, what do you mean we're not going to do whatever? Or what do you mean you're putting a mask on our kid? Whatever the argument was, I just have heard over and over, like, I don't know you. Like, yeah. what happened? And we lost, We just became untethered. And then once we became untethered, man, we're just amoebas running around all over the place, just wagging the tails, man. And then I heard yesterday another podcast. Um, it's from the Good Faith podcast, which I very, actually very highly recommend to you. And the guest on the podcast was Dr. Kara Powell. And she was talking about the... Um, the prevalence of mental illness in our society. General anxiety, she said, has tripled. Depression has quadrupled across generations since COVID. It was already on the rise before COVID, but anxiety has tripled. Depression has quadrupled. And young people are particularly prone to experience mental health challenges. About one half of 18 to 24-year-olds are experiencing mental health challenge. And young females are twice as, as um, likely as young males to experience anxiety and stress. So you have a little picture of, of the hardships in which we find ourselves and all of us can tell our own stories. So in that sense, I've called this series Timely Words for Today's World, really trying to place these words of James into today's world. And what I'd like to do today is something a little different than I did last Sunday. Last Sunday, I took a couple of verses and like a real deep dive into almost each word of, of the verse. And to prove I'm not a one-horse pony, I'm going to race through this first chapter of James. We're just going to read it, and I'm just going to make a few comments as we go along. Because in this first chapter of James, you have almost all of the themes that the rest of the chapter handles. So we're going to, we're going to go through it and then just try to get an impression for what James says to us in terms of, okay, how do we handle, how do we deal with, what's our attitude, what's our thinking as we go through the hardships in which our, we find ourselves, and I want to make this very clear, no one is suggesting, and I am not suggesting, that if you do and follow these things, that that will solve all your problems. This, this is not necessarily going to help your mental health, or if you're sick from whatever it is, or whatever your issues are. This is a, this is a way, a way of, of being and a way of conducting yourselves as a Christian in the middle of the hardships without a promise that these hardships are going to go away. So let's start, uh, we'll first start with uh, the verses that we uh, looked at last week from uh, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, 
when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And this is where we zoomed in last week on almost every word and basically said what what James is saying is as we as we get the joy that comes from God and as we face our hardships and as we think about them and work with them and wrestle with them, we become mature people. We become complete. And then he goes on in verses 5 to 8 and says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And I would like to pull two words out of this passage. The first one is wisdom. What is this wisdom? And our tendency, I think, in our, in our, in our world and in our Christian world of, of today is to think of wisdom as God speaking directly to me, God showing his will to me, God showing me what he wants me to do, what kind of a career should I have, who should I marry, what kinds of things should I do this week or this day. It's, it's a very vertical thing. But it's fascinating that James uses the word wisdom a number of times just a little bit later in this book, and I want to project it for you so that you can see how he uses it. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Now listen to this. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This is all about conduct. This is not my my communication channel with God, as good as that is. This is about conduct. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But if you're jealous, if you're full of selfish ambition, if you're boasting, if you're not telling the truth, that's not the wisdom. These are all do things. This is not some kind of a feeling inside. He says, these things are earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Here it comes. But the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, that's horizontal, gentle, that's horizontal, open to reason, full of mercy, that's horizontal, full of good fruits, that's horizontal, impartial, and sincere. So you see James filling out this concept of wisdom, and there's very little in here, again, of me in my personal prayer room getting God's wisdom. This is me out in the world functioning as one of these mature people who is not split It's the way I act, it's the way I think, it's the way I speak, it's how I am. And if that's a struggle for you, particularly in this time in which we live, then that's the kind of wisdom that God wants you to ask for. And then he says, do it without doubting. 
And this, of course, in our time is a, um, a little bit of a difficult world, word also because in our time, we actually are trying to give permission for people to doubt. You really are allowed to ask questions, to say, I'm not sure that what that guy said from the pulpit that day, I'm not sure that that's right. What exactly does he mean? Is that correct? So that kind of doubting and questioning is, <clears throat> in general, a thing that we're open to and want to advance to, to uh, encourage to advance our discussion. So what is this doubt that James is talking about? And here again, he uses the same word, doubt, in another verse of the, of the letter. I'm not going to project it, but I'm going to read it and just listen. This is from chapter 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on my feet, have you not then made distinctions? And that's the same word as doubt. Making distinctions. between people. So again, I think in these first verses of James, James is not talking my, my inner angst, my inner doubts about Christianity, does God exist, and all the questions I might have. He's saying, as you work out this wisdom in the world, do so, not wavering. Do so, not being double-minded or unstable. Do so as a mature person. And I think both of those things together put a little bit of a different flavor on these verses than we may be used to. We're asking for God to help us live in the world and to do so without discriminating between people. To be people who, whose, whose thoughts and feelings and and way of operating are becoming whole like mature people. And James goes further in, in uh, verses 9 to 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. And now remember, James is talking again to groups of people, probably extended families at least, and maybe maybe neighbors who have decided to move from one place to another. They're moving into another area and confronting all the levels of society that you always find when you go somewhere. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, like a wildflower, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower fails and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And James, as a, as a, a deeply rooted Jewish person, deeply rooted in the Hebrew Bible, is probably thinking about that famous song of Hannah. You remember the mother of Samuel, who was barren, and prayed, and God gave her Samuel. And when God gave her Samuel, she said this prayer. She sang this song. The Lord makes poor, and the Lord makes rich. He brings low, and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. 
He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. So these people from Jerusalem are moving into other territory where they are the lowest ranked. Sorry, my my thing just... Where they are the lowest ranked. They're new. They don't know their way around. They don't know anybody. They don't know anything. Maybe in terms of class, they're at the bottom. And James says, don't worry about that. Hannah's song, which was taken over and repeated by Mary, the mother of Jesus, you may remember in the Magnificat, where Mary says, God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. In other words, the word of the gospel, the word of encouragement to those facing hardship, especially if you're at the bottom of the pile for whatever reason, is that that's right where God is. Blessed are the poor, says Jesus, right? Congratulations, you poor. You are the exact people for whom God has a special eye. And then James goes further in verses 12 to 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And you remember we've heard that word steadfast way back in the beginning. We talked about it last week. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And you remember last week we said the motivation for enduring hardships was not some crown that comes in the future, but your own maturation as a person. But here it's the crown that you get, there is, there is some future reward. I have no idea what that is. Not a clue. But it's here. There's something in the future to look forward to that's coming. There's a crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And James was the brother of Jesus. And I wonder if when James wrote this down, he was thinking of the time when Jesus told him when he was out in the desert for 40 days and nights and the devil came and tempted him. And especially that time when, when the devil took Jesus on top of the, this, this pinnacle of the, of the temple and said, throw yourself down. Because the, the Bible says that if you throw yourself down, God will protect you. And Jesus said to the devil, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Don't, don't think that God is, God is trying to get you to do something like this. And I wonder if James is thinking back on that as he writes these words down. My my desires, my sins are not coming from God. They're coming from inside. And I think that's a very important theme. We'll we'll be touching it again in, in James as we face our hardships. Some of the hardships are caused by me. And sometimes my reaction to those hardships are sinful. Remember John here talked about the Netflix and the Amazon. They'll make me feel good. I'm just, I'm just cashing. I'm just watching. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just binging. 
I don't know if that's a sin or not. That's for you to decide. But what in the hardships that you are facing, what comes out of your own heart that you may need to deal with? And then James goes further. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Every good and every perfect gift. And I'm thinking here that James is thinking about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Where he talks about all the good gifts that the Father bestows, not only upon his creation, upon the sparrows and upon the flowers, but upon each one of us. For he sends the rain to sh- rain, for he sends the rain and the sun upon the just and the unjust. And then he goes further, James, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Put away, therefore, all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. In the hardships in which you find yourself, says James, be slow to speak, and you know, if you know anything about James, later he'll be talking about the tongue. So this is his little, his little hint, his little, it, this is coming. Be slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness or justice of God. Put away filthiness and wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. And next week, Dan's going to talk about that passage. I'm going to skip over it right now which talks about reading the Word and actually doing it. So Dan's going to be talking about that next week. And then he goes on in 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person... I'm sorry, I read that already. 26 to 27. If anyone thinks he is religious, and this is how James closes this introduction, and does not bridle, bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So at the end of this chapter, all of this little, all of this introductory stuff, all of these themes that he's just touching on with words and sentences and images and bringing up feelings and bringing up uh, memories, trying to encourage these people, how do you deal with the actual hardships in which you find yourself? It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Number one, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And that's again, horizontal. And I think James is thinking about that famous passage that I'm sure most of you know from Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In the middle of your hardships, in the middle of our hardships, 
do justice, love kindness, pray for wisdom to be able to do that, and to treat other people without any partiality, to treat other people as equal, to have respect for everybody, and to pay attention, especially to those who are at the bottom of the heap for whatever reason. And then he says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. And I think this particular line has caused us a lot of trouble over the centuries. It has fostered, and this is a, a, a long history here that we won't go into here, but it has, it, has, it has been read and it has fostered this idea that somehow the world is evil, the world in which we find ourselves, and that the Christian faith is actually in reality one great escape plan out of this evil world. You remember my talking about the lifeboat? Our, our goal as Christians is to get out of this flesh, get out of this physical, get out of this world, and move to a place that's spiritual and pure. And I don't think, this won't surprise you, I don't think that's what James is talking about here at all. This word cosmos, the Greek word that's translated world, is the word cosmos. And more than one commentator, and more than one expert on the Greek language, um, indicates that this word has a lot of meanings, but one of its main meaning is that it refers to the world system. Or in my favorite word, which is empire. Right? This word world, this word world, cosmos, refers in a large extent to empire. It doesn't refer to my body doesn't refer to this creation, which God declared this is good when he made it. It refers to the system of which Satan is the head. It refers to the systems, like Martin Luther King uh, noted, of materialism, poverty, of militarism, war, and of racism that creep into our lives and that control us and that manipulate us, and to which we give our allegiance, and which produces the, unjust, the injustice, and the sin, and the war, and the deprivation of this world. So at the end of this chapter, James is saying, visit, true religion is to visit the orphans and the widows, to do justice, and to stay away from what is empire. To stay away from those systems that promote class levels, wealth levels, educational levels, that put people on some people on top and put some people on the bottom. And that's what wisdom is, and that's why we need it. And Somehow, and I know you all experience this and have experienced it, when you can grab onto these things in the midst of your hardship, when you can see the value of who you are, and when others can see the value of who you are, and together as a community, you can work to take away the barriers that exist between people with a focus on service, 
then all kinds of great things could happen. For example, the valedictorian this year at Rollins College. Here is pieces of her speech. Rollins College Class of 2022, today we celebrate our shared achievements. I know something about shared achievements because I am affected by a form of autism that doesn't allow me to speak. My neuromotor issues also prevent me from tying my shoes or buttoning a shirt without assistance. I have typed this speech with one finger with a communication partner holding a keyboard. My situation may be extreme, but I believe Rollins has shown all of us how sharing gives meaning to life. During my freshman year, I remember hearing a story about our favorite alumnus, Mr. Rogers. When he died, a handwritten note was found in his wallet. It said, Life is for service. You have probably seen it on the plaque by Strong Hall. Life is for service. So simple, yet so profound. Rollins has instilled in all of us that service to others gives meaning to our own lives and to those we serve. Viktor Frankl wrote about the power of sharing in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. While suffering in the Nazi concentration camp at Auschwitz, he noted how, despite the horror, there were prisoners who shared their last crust of bread. He writes, Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. We all have been given so much, including the freedom to choose our own way. Personally, I have struggled my whole life with not being heard or accepted. A story on the front page of our local newspaper reported how the principal at my high school told a staff member, the retard can't be valedictorian. Yet today, here I stand. How will you rise up to meet the unprecedented challenges of our time? Whatever our life choices, each and every one of us can live a life of service to our families, to our communities, and to the world. And the world can't wait to see our light shine. So, my call to action today is simple. Tear off a small piece from your commencement program and write Life is for Service on it. We are all called to serve as an everyday act of humility, as a habit of mind. To see the worth in every person we serve. To strive to follow the example of those who chose to share their last crust of bread. For to whom much is given, much is expected. God gave you a voice. Use it. And no, the irony of a non-speaking autistic encouraging you to use your voice is not lost on me. Because if you can see the worth in me, then you can see the worth in everyone you meet. My fellow classmates, I leave you today with a quote from Alan Turing, who broke the Nazi encryption code to help win World War II. Sometimes, it is the people no one imagines anything of who do the things no one can imagine. Be those people. Be the light. Fiat Lux. Thank you. And the only way to do any of this, to, to be these kind of people, is remember we go back to the very beginning of the book of James where he says greetings, which says, may joy be with you. That we're connected to God and that, and that through him and through the work of Jesus Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we're given the strength, we're given the ability to perceive, to understand, and to do what he calls us to do in the middle of the hardships in which we find ourselves. 
and in in the middle of the brokenness of our society. And I'd like to just give you a moment to reflect by just playing a song on video. This is a song called, Isn't It a Pity? Isn't it a pity? Isn't it a shame? How we break each other's hearts and cause each other pain. And as you reflect, I'd like you to think about those places where there is brokenness caused by you or whether you're the victim of brokenness. And then ask yourself and ask God for his wisdom. Ask God for his wisdom, not ask yourself. Ask ask God for his wisdom, the wisdom that will help you to move into this broken world and make changes at whatever level he has given you to do so.